0: Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Four decades of experience in the natural products industry and healthcare industries have made Mindy Green, my guest today, a genuine national authority on botanicals. Mindy has been involved particularly with herbs and aromatherapy, both as an esthetician, herbalist, and aromatherapist since the 1970s. This woman has a legacy. She is incredibly respected throughout the herbal world and the aromatherapy world, having served on the board of directors of the United Plant Savers from 2004 to 2010 in the Botanical Research Division of R&D as the clinical aromatherapist developing functional blends and providing training on essential oils for Aveda Corporation. And she has taught extensively at both massage colleges, aromatherapy schools, herbal conferences, and universities and colleges throughout the country. Mindy is someone who believes that plants in all their forms create healing globally and individually. She's a prolific writer and lecturer who's committed to sharing this information with all of us and has authored over 65 published articles on herbs, aromatherapy, skincare, holistic health, and integrative care. She is the co-author of Aromatherapy, A Complete Guide to the Healing Art, and such a treasure to me as a foremother, even to me in the herbal world, it is without further ado that I welcome today's guest, Mindy Green. It is such a pleasure to have you with me today, Mindy. And I will tell you, essential oils are such a huge controversy and there's really nobody I trust more to have an honest, high level, high integrity, meaningful conversation about this than you. So thank you for joining me.
1: Well, thank you, Aviva. I've been looking forward to this since we've talked about it. So yeah, I'm excited.
0: So Mindy, you have been an herbalist. Well, I think between the two of us, what do we have like (laughs)
1: 70-some years.
0: I know. It's crazy to think about. We really do. And you, at some point, introduced essential oils into what you were doing with herbal medicine. Please explain to us what led you to first fall in love with essential oils.
1: Well, as you know, I began my career as an herbalist, and uh, plants were kind of my spiritual path, and so I made them my life's work. And I think the thing that made it an easy transition is that there are so many crossover uses with herbs and essential oils, not always, and certainly not in the same quantities, but it just seemed to be such a perfect expansion of an herbalist's practice when used properly. And so I see aromatherapy as a concentrated version of herbalism And when used with skill and education, I think they can add a lot to an herbal practice or any kind of herbal therapy that you're doing. The two are very compatible. So when you're maybe drinking your herbal teas or taking your herbal tinctures, at the same time, you could be using an essential oil blend in your body lotion or in your bath or in your diffuser. So it just seemed like a really easy transition. Plus, I just love the smell of of plants. And some of them are, you know, not as pleasant as others, but they all offer their beautiful personalities and their, their incredible, unique qualities. And so I think they're a wonderful marriage.
0: So Mindy, you started using essential oils, we can call them EOs. Uh, really far before most of us were using them. I mean, in the herbal world, we used certain ones. I've used lavender oil, for example, or oregano oil, some of the topicals for decades. But so many of the women who are listening like you and I had to do with herbs 35 years ago are figuring it out from scratch because there aren't a lot of guideposts, but you really were figuring it out from scratch. I mean, there was some some work in Europe. I know the French have used essential oils for a long time, but what was that like for you and how did you sort of go from dabbler to to expert? What were some of the resources you used And, and what was that like sort of figuring it out when there weren't a lot of guideposts?
1: Well, yeah, that's a really interesting question. And it kind of speaks to the history of aromatherapy in America. I started using essential oils in the, I would say, mid-1970s. I worked at a small health food store And our little tiny health food store in Northern California in Western Sonoma County had a little herb shop. (laughs) And um, the herb shop was run by Rosemary Gladstar. (laughs) And Rosemary had these little bottles of lavender and rosemary and and eucalyptus. And that's kind of all she carried. And so we were all like, oh, these are pretty cool. What can we do with these? And in those days, you know, we sold them in one ounce bottles without an orifice reducer in the neck and you just pour it into your bath and, we, you know, we didn't really know. And the only book that was really out there then, I think Robert Tisserand wrote a book around 1974 on the art of aromatherapy, I think it was called.
0: That was the book and, I had in mind when I was talking right, about it. back in the day. Yeah.
1: Right, exactly. So, you know, of course, I, I read that from cover to cover several times and I moved from Western Sonoma County up to British Columbia and opened a health food store herb shop in Victoria. And we started carrying more and more essential oils. And so I thought, well, how am I going to find information? I found the encyclopedia, I think it was by Perry. It was like five volumes, I think. And it was mostly on distillation. So I just really kind of searched around And muddled through and, you know, just from a more historical, uh, traditional perspective of using essential oils, the way we all learned to use herbs back then, you know, with Jethro Kloss and Back to Eden and, you know, those John Lust's book, the herb book. So, you know, we kind of just picked up where history left off and we learned from each other. Uh, You know, back in the day when you met another herbalist, you were friends for life because there weren't that many people interested in plants in those days. So we learned from each other, and we started sharing information with each other. Then we started teaching classes. And I would say my first real teacher was Kurt Schnaubelt in the early 80s. I moved back to Western Sonoma County and um, met him, and then some aromatherapy associations began. Um, I went to Europe. I studied with a few doctors Kurt brought some teachers over from France, so it just kind of worked out from there and together with my herbal practice and also um, in those early days I was a massage therapist and uh, I was also very interested in skincare. I got my esthetician's license in California and Colorado, and and started using them in skincare. And that was really there was that was one area where essential oil information was a little bit available from Margaret Maury, who was an aromatherapy person from um, Europe. So I of course I read all of her stuff on skincare and saw that these essential oils could really be used for a wide range of things the same way we use herbs you know for emotional health for physical well-being and for for beauty care you know herbs and essential oils are the basis of many many cosmetics so you know just from there just from my class notes somebody asked me to write a book and you know, my friend Kathy Kivell was my co-writer and I, or I should say I'm her co-writer because she has like 15 books <laughs> and we both come from, you know, that herb tradition with an interest in aromatherapy and we kind of had the same idea for the same type of book at the same time and decided to do this together. And then I started being asked to give more talks on essential oils than I was asked to be. Uh, speaker for herbs because there are a lot of people who spoke on herbs, not that many on essential oils. So it just kind of worked from there, and and since then there have been a lot of herb schools and. Aromatherapy schools that popped up all over. So uh, today you can get a pretty darn good education. And two of the best resources for that are the two nonprofit associations for aromatherapy in the United States. And that's the Alliance of International Aromatherapists. And the other is the National Association of Holistic Aromatherapy. So Those two organizations, of course, they have an online presence and you can look at the schools that they have approved for their guidelines. And I think that's a really good way to start. Most of them have places where you can go in person or to take online classes. There's also the Academy of the ACHS Academy of Healthcare Sciences uh, is it, or is it American Healthcare Science? Anyway, achs.edu. We'll These
0: look it up. Great, we'll get the right link. Yeah yeah. A, yeah, yeah. They they all have
1: great online programs, and so you know it's great to read a book. Online information isn't all that trustworthy, as you know. You can say anything you want to, and and there is unfortunately some misinformation and. I think some very well-intentioned people get excited about essential oils and maybe don't know enough to really advise other people but that is happening and uh you know a little information can be dangerous so and sometimes the crossover of information from herbs to essential oils isn't always equal like you could use thuja as a tincture but you can't really use essential oil of thuja in a in a safe way so you know there are some safe crossovers with, you know, lavender. We don't think of it much as an herb tea, but it is a great herb tea for calming. And the essential oil is a great essential oil for calming when used diluted and appropriately so for the the population you're you're treating. So you know there is some education to be had by the user.
0: Mindy, I just I just want to like put a pin in the fact. I mean, I've been doing this for 35 years. I started in the very, very early 80s. But you were, you know, doing this in the 70s. It's kind really of like, a, kind of like, clap and jump up and down and sing your praises. And for all the women, you know, there's so many people who are doing so many things now, and I think we forget too. I know the herbalists, we don't forget our <laughs> we don't forget our tradition and we don't forget to thank the people who came before us. But so often I see so many experts in the health and wellness space sort of like as if they invented this new thing. <laughs> and I yes, just, you're so right. I really just want to honor that and just really mm-hmm. honor you for being such a pioneer and and the longevity you've brought to this. I mean, it's it's remarkable. I know that when I saw you and Sarah Katz, um, for those of you listening, Sarah Katz is the mother of Herb Farm, the company. And uh, then I was just at International Herb Symposium, and I was having lunch with Christopher Hobbs and Susan Weed. And I, and I get this same feeling every time. I actually said to Susan and Christopher, I'm like, oh, I'm home. I'm, a, I'm with my herb people. And there's that feeling of connectedness that we all have that's so – long and so beautiful. So thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you. And, and like you said, you know, when you're with another herbalist, I mean, you're, I, we all in those early days in the early 70s, we were like, we found our tribe. And, and for many of us, we have remained lifelong friends.
0: It's amazing. And I remember Susan Weed saying, no matter where you go, if there's a plant or a plant person, you're never alone. It's so true. Yes. Yes. So I have so many questions for you. So I'm going to break them down. I've been taking a little notes here. So one of the things I would just love to ask you is thinking back on your early years of using essential oils can you remember one of those aha moments or kind of quote unquote success stories where you thought, wow, I mean, this stuff really makes a difference?
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, there there are many along the way, but I would say the one that stood out the most for me was the use of Clary Sage for menstrual cramps and just kind of PMS moodiness in general. And I had the most amazing reaction. And for all the years that... I've been using herbs, you know, I totally believe in them, but I never had like the miracle cure that wasn't a, you know, an instant aha. And I did get that with Clary Sage and menstrual cramps and PMS in general. And it was just Remarkable, and clary sage is one of my favorite go-to essential oils. And and I have to say, it's not one of my favorite smells. Mm-hmm. It's strong. <laughs> um, it's very strong. It's strong, strong. Yeah. and it, I I like it diluted. And I love the the fresh plant. The flowers are just beautiful and amazing. You know, it has such a long history of use in herbalism. Clary sage and the seeds, and using it in wine as a tincture and You know, there's just so many wonderful stories about Clary Sage, and so this was just such an uh, awakening moment for me that did provide almost instantly that relief from the moodiness and the crampiness and the breast swelling and all of those things that accompany all the different kinds of PMS that we all have experienced. So, how did you use it when you when you? uh... Well, my favorite way to use it is in the bath and i think it's one of the safest ways to use it you can certainly use it in skincare you can use it i like to put it in a blend when i had my um small cottage industry company way back in the in the 80s and 90s i used to make a blend called moon time oil and i remember i blended clary sage with some it was lavender and geranium a little bit of ginger for uh circulation and there might have been one or two other things. Oh, sweet marjoram for menstrual cramps and using that as a just rub on the abdomen, the, the lower the lower back and the front abdomen all around the hips here, the hip area. And you could use that same blend in the bath. But the other blend I liked was just clary sage with a little bit of. Sandalwood or um, atlas cedar, I liked the groundedness of those two plants, you know, the woods and the the trees, the resins, all of those beautiful grounding oils. So you know when I think about doing a blend and you know, depending on who it's for, I kind of like to look at that person's constitution, and you know the same way we do with herbs, it's not just the physical. we're not just looking at. Um, treating plants as allopathic remedies so we want to maybe address the person's constitution and if somebody is very flighty or vata in their ayurvedic dosha then you would want something that that's very grounding and for me i'm very very like it's hard to turn off the brain and i'm very vata
0: yeah i am too
1: yes yes and so I always like to add something that's grounding. And I love frankincense also. So just adding something that's going to address the general constitution, um, as well as the physical problem that you might be dealing with or the emotional piece of it. So for for many women experiencing PMS, oftentimes uh, the emotions are, kind of get away from us. And uh, whether it's anxiety or or being kind of ramped up in a, I hate to use the word hysteria because it has a terrible know, connotation in so many ways. but if you're ramped up emotionally, then uh, something like frankincense is very grounding. It's a very beautiful meditative plant that's been used for centuries to kind of bring us back into our into our center. and, and here's the other thing about both plants and essential oils. but I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. <laughs> um, but I think one of the main reasons that I was so drawn to plants so early in my, in my, I mean, it really started in my teen years, but I just felt like they were just this beautiful connection to nature. And if I could be out in nature in a field of, of, you know, just beautiful blooming flowers or a beautiful grove of giant trees or wherever you can find nature around you that it I mean we all know it has this beautiful grounding sense and that when you're there you can kind of connect to that place both within within us and outside of us in in nature in the trees in the plants in the earth and that through the sense of smell whether you're smelling a fresh blossom that is um growing in the ground or you have a bouquet of flowers on your table or you're breathing in the fragrance of the broccoli on your plate or you're inhaling the scent scent of an essential oil i think that we have the ability to really connect to that i mean the sense of smell is so so strong and so intense in people and it it carries us through many miles and memories. And I really believe that through the sense of smell, we can connect to nature in a much deeper way that reminds us that we are connected to source energy, which is really the the headwaters of all healing. And that is really the thing that I think that we tend to I think if we are more aware of that, it, it almost works better. You know, it's like an affirmation that whenever I smell this essential oil or this beautiful fragrance from the, the flowers in my garden, that it's an unconscious or subconscious reminder that we're part of source energy and that we belong and that we matter. And a lot of times I think the source of many illnesses is that that feeling, especially for women, where we don't feel like we're quite enough. And I just love this sense of just breathing in this aroma. And just if if you're at your desk, or you've got a moment to yourself, you just breathe in this beautiful aroma from any plant source. And you are reminded now more consciously that you are part of this natural cycle of nature and part of the source energy that also made this plant and that made you and that made all the cells in your body and all the stars in the sky and you know just really feeling like you belong and you matter and you're enough
0: we could just stop right there (laughs) I mean, wow. really,
1: that's, yes.
0: that's why I love plants. <laughs> it's, why, it's why I love plants too. You know, I think it's why I've never quite resonated with homeopathy because homeopathy to me still feels like it's made somewhere else. It feels a little more abstract, especially the pill form. For me, the plants create that exact same feeling for me. And mm. even in my medical practice and my patients, I'll sometimes just say, you know, a cup of tea, sip a cup of tea and just it's almost – if you don't have time to sip a cup of tea or stop and quote unquote smell the roses, right? Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. how do we how do we make time for the other aspects like exercise or dietary changes or the bigger changes we need to make in our life? And you know, I many I couldn't I couldn't even agree with you more or say it better that our connection to the earth. I think we forget that we do have the capacity to heal beyond anything we've ever been led to believe. And if we look at a tree or we look at damages that happen in nature, there's so much self-repair capacity that we forget we have. And and I was having a conversation, um, you know, Jonathan Treasure, the herbalist. Yes. yes. Yeah. So Jonathan mm-hmm. and I were on the phone chatting not too long ago and we started talking about scent and and our connection to scent and our connection to the earth. And We were just talking about how scent is this, it's our most primitive um, Mm -hmm. sense. It's the sense that we first have and it's the sense that we last have, even if we lose our other senses, but also... It it happens in maybe even, I know milliseconds, but maybe even nanoseconds that you smell something and your brain has cataloged, this is right. This is safe. This connects me to something I know. And totally, it, it just kicks in that primitive healing response. And I, I feel so powerfully that part of why humans need to connect with plants, whether through food or through herbs, so much in this time is that there are those primitive Molecules that we're not getting in any other way. We're not getting those molecules from our computer. We're not getting those molecules from processed food. We're not getting those molecules from our pharmaceuticals, but we're getting those molecules that turn on our innate healing capacity when we connect with those plants. So thank you for saying all of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, you totally get it. And, and did you know that recently they discovered that every single organ in our body and all of our skin cells have scent receptors?
0: I'm not surprised. I mean, I know that yeah. in, the, in the herbal world for a long time, we've thought that you had to taste a bitter herb for the bitter. Yes. Herb stuff. But now we know that we have taste receptors throughout yes. our, our gut. Oh, it's, yes. Amazing. Yeah,
1: and and the sense of smell is the only sense that's fully developed at birth, and we bond to their, our mothers through the sense of smell. You know, they through the taste of breast milk and all of that, and and babies can smell in utero, and it's why women have to be careful about using essential oils in pregnancy because the essential oils, because they are lipid soluble, they will cross the placental barrier. And so babies can smell in utero. And if you're using something while the baby is growing, and of course you you must wait until after the first trimester and then use only the safest essential oils. And and just to give you a really safe category, those are the flowers, like Mm -hmm. rose and lavender and chamomile and things like that Elang, in very small doses 1% or less 0.5 to 1% dilution for is safe for pregnant bellies and, you know, just to add that to your regime of preventing stretch marks and things like that, the, but the baby is smelling that in utero. And so when the baby is born, then you could make a, a baby oil or a lotion with those same mild fragrances in very small quantities. I want to just really reiterate that 0.5%, which is like one to three drops of essential oil and one ounce of carrier, which, you know, something beautiful would be like a a calendula infused carrier oil for baby and make that the baby's body oil. And the baby will remember those fragrances and feel safe, like, like they're still in the uterus. So all of those things carry through, they have, they have a deep impact on us very unconsciously, subconsciously.
0: Can I tell you one of my, as we were talking, I was remembering my actual first exposure to medicinal use of oils, and uh-huh. it was actually when I was 10 years old, and this is a really funny thing that I, I don't think I've ever talked about publicly before, but my mom took a job as an executive secretary to the owner... It was a family in a Long Island city in New York that had a company called Mannheimer's, and they were one of the world oh, yeah, la- I know them yeah, sure. so they were one of the world's <laughs> yeah. largest importers um, <laughs> yeah. was, right, so yeah. I was a science geek from the beginning, and so after school, I would take the bus and train as New York City kids do to long Island city or my on my days off, my mom would bring me in, and I would go hang out in the lab and at that time we had just this like the entire staff for some reason of the lab in flavors and fragrances was pretty much all from India. And so these were people who also had grown up with traditionally with these herbs as part of medicine. And so Mm. I would go in the lab and even at this age, I was helping with the um, liquid chromatography and it was amazing, but I had such a strong sense of smell that they started jokingly calling me the nose. And even on my (laughs) days that I wasn't there, They would actually send home, you know, rose geraniums and cinnamons and different oils with the, um, with an amber twist, you know, twist top bottle. And then one of those, I don't know if they were like some kind of a filter paper and then I would dip it in and I would have to lay them out and smell and tell them which ones I thought smelled the best or had these, you know, higher notes or lower notes. That was my early exposure to essential. That's so cool. Yeah. So it was pretty fun. It was my early love of science and plants really kind of started during those years.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. So you brought up a lot of potent things here. No pun intended. (laughs) So first thing I want to do before we go forward with, you know, uses and safety is to clarify what we're talking about, because there's a lot of different use of essential oils. And we started out talking about aromatherapy. So let's clarify what we're talking about here. When you're talking about essential oils and your use, aromatherapy versus Internal use of essential oils or aromatherapy on a spectrum, including use of internal essential oils. Clarify for us what you're okay. u- what you're using and what you're talking about. Yes,
1: yes. Well, I'm not a huge fan of the word aromatherapy because it has been so exaggerated and expanded upon. To me, I would call, you know, kind of the general definition of aromatherapy is. Um, what I call the skilled use of essential oils for health, beauty, and psychological well-being. Now, you can go to any drugstore today and walk down the aisle and see a, a category called aromatherapy, and in that category, they'll they will include peach-scented bubble bath. To me, that's not aromatherapy. First of all, it has to start with plants. So, so the synthetic use of fragrance does not fit in here anyway.
0: No, it's anywhere. actually it's actually yeah. toxic and it, oh, yes. it it acts as an endocrine disruptor. Yes. So it can yes. be really harming women's hormones and children's totally. hormones too. Yeah. So most of
1: us who use essential oils from a therapeutic perspective call it essential oil therapies. Now, I like the the kind of made up term aromatic nanopolypharmacy which I know will not <laughs> catch on. <laughs> I love it, but the use of essential oils you know obviously starting with with real plant material that's unadulterated so that opens up a whole bunch of of you know controversy and dialogue which i know we don't have time for but a lot of people just trust their supplier and that's very nice but let's just hope that they know also that their supply is is clean and direct and you know, there's a lot of adulteration going on in the marketplace because essential oils are rare in certain parts of the world. They're subject to political strife and uh, climate change and things like that. Um, And so when I hear that there are, you know, I'm just making up numbers here, four barrels of real lavender essential oil from France, but they end up selling eight barrels of lavender oil from France. Something happened in there. And lavender is one of those essential oils that is commonly adulterated. And partly because the perfume industry doesn't think there's anything wrong with that. And that's often because many perfume, this is especially in the perfume industry, not so much in the in the essential oil or aromatherapy industry, but perfumers, when they're using natural source essential oils, and they use many synthetics, but if if you have a completely synthetic perfume, it doesn't smell right. They have to always use some real essential oils. So from year to year, plants fluctuate in their chemical composition because they are exposed to different uh, climate, environmental climate changes from year to year. And so... Large fragrance houses will chemically alter the fragrance to to be the same every year. You can look at any Mannheimer would have this. They would have lavender 4042, lavender 5052, and that anytime you see that on a label, you know that they have changed the content. Um, they have adjusted the content of lavender uh, for the the two components, linalyl acetate and linalol, which are the two markers, the 5052. So. You know, there are a lot of adulterants happening in, in the aromatherapy industry, but let's say you start with a really good essential oil. So, you know, using it for skincare, using it for psychological well-being, and in some cases, yes, a little more allopathically like the way that we often use herbs. We want to counteract a symptom or we want to relieve a symptom.
0: Absolutely, one of and- my favorite uses of lavender and peppermint essential oils and incredibly effective is for headaches and migraines. Yes. And it's yeah. a nice alternative because Tylenol is not safe in pregnancy. Right. So I use it in pregnant moms.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure how you're using the peppermint, but I would encourage you to consider spearmint as an even safer alternative than peppermint. Peppermint contains some ketones. They're not really all that toxic, but uh, spearmint is much safer than peppermint in pregnancy. Um, But again, everything depends on how much you're using, where you're using it, how often you're using it, and what dilution you're using it. So a lot of things come into
0: play. yeah. This is usually one drop in mm-hmm. a carrier oil, applied oh, one, you know, applied little. Oh, oil, yeah, and then apply one or two drops to each temple. But I Perfect. agree, that even even great. yeah, yes. and even in um, as herb teas, I usually recommend spearmint over peppermint. Uh-huh. In pregnancy, okay. so that's good to know about the migraines. I can switch that. Mm-hmm. Up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Mindy, you know, one of the things I try to avoid doing is endorsing any particular company. But one of the things mm-hmm. that women often will write to me about particularly is how do I know what company to trust and you know if you feel comfortable naming some companies that women can really trust that's totally fine or if you you know rather give some guidelines because I I really like this to be very you know be like going to Ikea and getting instructions but (laughs) then telling you them telling you go to the hardware store and I won't tell you which wood is best or which screws are best just figure it out so if we can get a little granular that's super helpful for listeners
1: Sure. Well, there are many reputable companies around the U.S., and one of the places, if, you're, if you miss the, the few that I'm going to tell you now, but you can, again, go to the AIA website or the NAHA website. They don't endorse individual companies, but I can tell you that the companies that belong to them, especially the companies that do education, generally know enough to have high quality essential oil. So that's another place that you can go and look for that resource. There are oh, so many good ones. I like Aromatics International. They're in Montana. Of course these are all mail orders, so it doesn't really matter where you are. I like uh plantextractsinc.com. They're in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis. Nature's Gift, I think, is in Tennessee or Kentucky. Where else? Still Point Aromatics is in Arizona. Original Swiss Aromatics is in California. And, and there are some good lines that you can get just at the general health food store. Uh, I think Oracacia is fine to use. Uh, sometimes companies that have large distributions don't seem to have the same kind of like cleaner reputation. But you know, this is a company that has in-house GCMS. And they're analyzing their stuff for quality all the time. So there are lots of good. I'm I'm sure I left out many other great places, but those are a few.
0: Those are great resources, and I think the uh, looking at a company that's sort of a a quality assurance organization and seeing what companies belong to them and who's doing education—that's a Mm -hmm. great. That's a great tip, and I say the same with the herbal products as well. Totally. So I want to shift gears a little bit on a thought that came up as we were talking. Right back in the day, you and I you know, I, when I started herbal medicine, there was Jeannie Rose's body book back to Eden and Swiss nature doctor. That was it. Right? Uh, yes, yes, And so we did a lot by trial and error. And mm-hmm. then of course, as we become more experts and leaders, we naturally become more cautious in some ways. And we're like, Oh, you know, you really need to know what you're doing. So there's this sort of like as we become experts we value that expertise and we're like oh my gosh if we knew then what we knew now we probably wouldn't <laughs> do some of the things we did but um, so many women like you and i did then and continue to do i'm sure as new things come up in our lives and our practices and the women we work with you know we are learning by doing so what is that balance between turning to an expert and practicing with self care and particularly with both the external but i'm also curious to hear what your thoughts are on the internal use of essential oils because that mm-hmm. has certainly exploded in the past 5 years
1: yes it has it has let me start with yes we learned by doing we learned by learning from each other i know whenever i would get together with my girlfriends we would say okay what what mistakes did you make you know since i saw you last in your practice you know and we would we would learn in that way and the other thing about You know, we can't treat everybody the same because one person might do just fine with chamomile essential oil, and another person's going to have a reaction to that or develop a sensitivity to it with long-term or extensive high-dose use. So, you know, I think that we need to, first of all, listen to our bodies. We need to start very slowly and cautiously. You know, my favorite way to administer essential oils with somebody who's new to it um, is diffusion because you're not putting anything directly on the skin. And uh, I like a diffuser with intermittent settings. And it doesn't have to be high tech. You can put essential oils in a spray bottle and mist them in the air every, every once in a while and start with something like that and see how you do. And then next would be in the bath. And so I would do a carrier oil with your essential oils. A lot of people just drop essential oils into the bath and that's fine for most people depending again on what you're using and how many drops you're using i say 3 to 5 drops 5 to 8 drops maybe of a safe essential oil and yes you could use more but you're just wasting your resources you're wasting those precious sustainable you know conscious resources that mother nature made with so much effort and you're not going to get more benefit by more of it i always say you want to avoid the moron theory. Don't use more when it doesn't work. <laughs> don't, put, don't put more on when it doesn't work. So that's not awesome. more in the bath. So the thinking is if three drops work well, then ten drops are really going to work well. That's not the way it works. So, you know, that's one of the ways. And then, you know, hand and foot baths. These are a lost art. Hand and foot baths. You know Maurice Messegay did all of yes. his healing. With hand and foot baths, He he did nothing internally. So... Internal is the, is the last thing I would do, you know, I, you know, body lotions and body oils and things like that, but internal and oral. So internally, you know, vaginally, rectally, I would never put anything in the ears. I know some companies say that that's fine and I disagree with that completely. Um, I've had experience with it, which is one of the reasons I disagree with it. But then oral would be the very last thing I would do. And um, I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm saying it requires a great deal of education to do it. You have to be sure that your the quality of your oil is high quality. You have to make sure you know the doses. You have to make sure of the drug, drug interactions. You have to make sure of you know taking a complete medical history. There are so many things to consider. And the way that people just willy-nilly do it, is kind of shocking so yeah that's a big concern and while you can buy essential oils over the counter in capsules and even in you know undiluted form that doesn't mean you should be taking things orally all the time i think one of the things that disturbs me the most is this prophylactic use of oregano oil Mm It does disrupt your microbiome. People, I have heard them say, oh no, it's natural. It doesn't disrupt. Well, we know even long-term use of golden seal can disrupt your microbiome. So, you know, I mean, yes, it's a plant source and it might be more compatible, but anything long-term can be very difficult. And with essential oils, your liver and your kidneys are doing the most detoxifying and extensive use long-term use or high dose use can be very problematic in the in the long run with that
0: they're quite concentrated so where you can get away with a little bit more of a permissive use i think with botanicals as teas or tinctures yes. you're already talking about a much more concentrated dose which brings me to another question i have for you you mentioned the word sustainability What is the sustainability, really, of essential oils when even such a small amount requires Mm -hmm. such a large volume of plant material?
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you you asked that. When Kathy and I updated our book in 2009, we added a chapter on sustainability. And that is an argument I hear from a lot of, of plant people. And it's a conversation that Kathy and I often had, you know. Because it does take sometimes an ounce or more to make a drop of essential oil. It takes 30 to 60 roses to make one drop of essential oil of rose. And who would would make that kind of tea? But people are putting one drop or more in a glass of water and drinking it. Which, by the way, is another, I hope we get to that, because that's not a good way to take essential oils orally. But anyway, yes, I think we need to be cognizant of the fact that One drop of essential oil represents a large amount of plant material. And most plants make essential oils in about 1% dilution in their leaves. Now, this varies, of course, because the amount of secretory ducts and structures in each plant varies from plant to plant. Not all plants even make essential oils, but the ones that do, those vary. And so when you're thinking about, let's say... Lavender has more secretory cells than than lemon balm essential oil, and that's reflected in the price, by the way. So yes, when you think about using one drop of essential oil and you consider how much plant material that is, I think with common sense from from both a sustainability standpoint and a safety standpoint and a health standpoint, it would behoove everybody to consider using lower dosages, uh, lower dilutions in their daily use, whether it's external or internal.
0: Now, Mindy, you uh, mentioned not taking EOs in water if you are using them internally. What's your preferred way that if folks are going to do a therapeutic strategy with essential oils? like I use uh, one of my favorite products that I um, recommend in my practice quite a bit is um, a proprietary product of lavender oil. I have had so many patients with... Fairly severe anxiety, even some who are mm. on benzodiazepines be able to come yes. off of their clonopin or other medication transitioning with the um, lavender. So that's a capsule where the lavender EO is actually diluted in another oil and then it's a very tiny uh, gel cap. What are the ways you recommend if someone is going to use and uh, and how do you get those tiny, tiny doses? Yes. I, I
1: know the exact product you're talking about. I recommend it often as well. And as you know, I work in an integrative pharmacy and we we provide that product and I've had customers come in with, with doctor prescriptions for that product. Um instead of their their, like you said, benzodiazepine.
0: Those might know. be coming it from me. The, those prescriptions might be coming from me, you know. It's so fun. To be, <laughs> it's so fun to be well, an this herbalist. Is a local Colorado uh, okay. <laughs> practice. But anyway, <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, so uh, a
1: carry oil, definitely. Just any kind of carrier, olive oil would be fine. It's inexpensive. You can get it organic and extra virgin and all of that. So that's fine. And, you know, and I want to say that this is something that I I always, even when I only have an hour long class and uh, when I when I do my class for the integrative medicine program at the University of Arizona, these docs are in a fellowship. And so I have a very short time with them and and it's a pretty much an introductory class but I want to give them the full range of how essential oils are being used around the world and especially in medical practice and if you go to Europe and you see a medical doctor who is also an aromatherapist and by the way the aromatherapy practitioners in France must be medical doctors and they go to I think it's 2 extra years of medical training for the use of essential oils so if you go to one of those trained doctors And you have what maybe in the U.S. your doc would write a a script for, let's say, an antibiotic. This doctor is able to write a script for a blend of essential oils. You can take that to the pharmacy. The pharmacist will make up your personalized, specialized blend, which, by the way, is often based on an aromatogram that is specific for your culture, for, let's say, a throat culture or something like that. So it's very specific for you as a patient. And then that prescription will be filled at the pharmacy in little capsules with a carrier oil and, and socialized medicine will pay for that. So yeah. Yeah. And you could go to any, any pharmacy in, in France, especially, but I've seen them in Italy as well. And over the counter, you can buy essential oil capsules uh, for oral use for a wide range of physical ailments. So it, it does occur out there but you know those companies have vetted their oils very well they have dosed them properly so you know there are a lot of caveats about that
0: Well and the studies are impressive you know it's really fun to be a medical doctor now as an herbalist cuz I can actually write for real prescriptions yeah. and like yeah. get them filled but um not quite to that extent unfortunately it would be amazing but I have a lot of patients i see who have hormonal imbalances, depression, anxiety, autoimmune conditions that can be traced back to disruption in their microbiome, uh, whether it's dysbiosis or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And I test for it. I don't just randomly treat. But looking at the studies that have been published in substantial legitimate gastroenterology journals do show that oils of red sage, oregano, and thyme are not only as effective or more than the comparable antibiotic. That comparable antibiotic, of course, can be part of the problem of antibiotic resistance, but also it can cost hundreds of dollars for a 10-day prescription. So I now primarily treat small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, of course, carefully with essential Mm -hmm. oils and Mm -hmm. at a limited time frame. But it's just been so impressive, and
1: yeah, I'm glad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that you're doing that because that is one of the very specific uses of essential oils for SIBO. And I'm not sure if you're making up the capsules yourself, but there are some. Uh, oral capsules, not gelatin capsules, but capsules that are enteric-coated specifically for those kinds of of administrations for where you want to bypass the gut and get it into the small intestine.
0: Absolutely. I want to jump back to something you said earlier. It was that there are big areas of misinformation. If you could pick out three areas of misinformation that you feel like listeners most need to be aware of, either for their safety or their safety plus their economics mm-hmm. of not throwing away their money on something that may be unsafe or ineffective. What would those three biggest areas of misinformation be with three, three points, let's say? I,
1: I think I would start with what I have seen the most of, and that is the use of neat essential oils on the spine, causing blistering and burning of the skin. Now, I know a lot of people who have done it and say, "Hey, it was great. I, you know, felt fine, and I didn't have any reaction." But I've seen a lot of people with terrible reactions. And the general answer is, "Oh, that's a really good thing. That's toxins coming out." Or, and that is so not no, true. No, 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 no. It is <laughs> just beyond not true. Yeah. That is your skin reacting to the high content of terpenes and phenols in the formulation that is very can be very damaging and leave scarring and all kinds of terrible things so that's probably the first thing the second is that you can use essential oils internally all the time with no side effects and that's not true and that you can self medicate and you know self medication requires a lot of self education and just because you took a weekend class doesn't mean that you know all the ins and outs. So I just encourage people to get the most education that they can and to use essential oils. I mean, there's really very little use to use, uh, reason to use oral essential oils on a daily basis. And for many things, it's not the best application for a respiratory infection. Diffusion would be much better than oral use
0: and i'm just imagining all of the emails i'm going to get from all my, do- my all my doTERRA multi-level people who are following and i just want to say you know i want to be respectful to everyone who's listening what mindy mm-hmm. and i are sharing is based on when i say that we have mindy you've been doing this since 70 so we literally truly have 80 years of combined mm-hmm. experience and we've seen a lot of things come and we've seen a lot of things go and the reality is that probably eight out of 10 people who use something like this aren't Mm going to have such a serious reaction that you're ever going to hear about it or see it. But we're at the sort of leadership end of things. We're involved in industry. We're involved in regulation around various natural products and seeing what's going on. So we do hear those stories. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I just want to clarify that, you know, it's with anything. I mean, thousands of people or tens of thousands of people who take Tylenol are never going to have liver damage either, but mm-hmm. it's the, t- it's yeah. the lead, it's the leading cause of liver damage in the Western world. So let's, you know, I want to keep that in perspective. And, um, you know, I know that some of the essential oil MLM type of companies have been an incredible boon for stay at home moms, women seeking alternative enterprise. And I, I so want to support Women doing that. What are some absolutely? Of your- and and when I'm not knocking any particular company. In fact, I had a patient who self-medicated. She was under my guidance. Um, she had <laughs> she had Lyme, and we had treated it appropriately with the antibiotics. But what had happened was she had already had it. She had already been infected for two years before she realized what was going on. And I worked with her for another two years. And you know, I will be honest. She we weren't getting very far. She was trying different things, and it was finally for her. Uh, a product that she learned about on the internet that had some essential oils in it that she started taking Mindy and, you know, whatever was happening in her body, it, it kicked her into high gear and she did recover. So, you know, I want to be mindful Mm -hmm. that these stories do happen and maybe it was the essential oils, maybe it wasn't, but what's your thought for kind of this scenario where, you know, we have these MLM companies, women are really thriving using them. What do we, what Mm -hmm. do we say to that? What do you say to that? Yeah. Well, let me just also
1: kind of reiterate what you said about MLMs and I know that at the highest level if you go to the website of most of these companies, they are being incredibly responsible on their websites because they know the FDA is watching and they want to do the right thing. And so I think what happens is that very well-meaning people who got very excited because of their personal story, their personal personal healing Uh, experience, they wanted to share this with all their friends. And, you know, and that's the way we all started. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I think at some of the more in-between levels of people who are I mean, I'll give you an example. I was at my chiropractor this morning, and he had a video running while I'm in the waiting room, and there was another chiropractor on the screen talking about the use of essential oils, and there were just a few things that he said, but some things that I said, oh, no, 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 that is not what I would, I I would not agree with that advice at all. So, you know, it's just really, really hard because this guy's, you know, you think he's well-educated, and it was an MLM kind of thing. So I just think that each individual person, and especially those moms are, who are at home, I was, I was a, a mom of three running, you know, my herb store and stuff. And it's, it's hard to be, to be a working mom. And I applaud all those women who have the entrepreneurship to take on something like that. And women trust women with our advice. And I think that's a good thing. I would just encourage them to read as much as possible, to take some online classes whenever possible, you know, just to get more information and a wide range of information. I mean, you know this from from teaching herbs and from being a student, every single teacher has a different way that they use things. And so it, it can be both confusing and enlightening. And just know that there is no one truth. But there are scientific facts <laughs> about certain things being irritating to the skin. So, you know, the first thing is just make sure you're diluting appropriately. You switch up your essential oils often. You don't use the same thing day after day, especially if you're doing something orally. And to to change up the administration, you know, topical in the bath, you know, in in a body lotion, things like that. And just be mindful of of both the safety issues, the environmental sustainability issues, and I think cost alone would kind of encourage that yeah.
0: Mindy, if you you have given us some great you know, I feel like you've given us such a wide bouquet of information here in that you clearly are just a lifelong proponents for essential oil use as a, a means of an alternative to conventional medicine that can be very effective and very safe if used properly, but with some reasonable cautions. And you've given us some great resources where women can get products and also that you, know, you feel are safe and great information for those women who are listening who aren't sure that they want to take a deep dive into learning about essential oils yet but maybe want to experience some uses that they can take in their own hands if there were uh, let's say top three uses or top three eos that you feel like somebody could just start with today And some Mm -hmm. simple simple common, you know, like I mentioned, migraines Mm -hmm. and and use on the temple. What would those top three either EOs or or uses be?
1: Ooh, that's a really good question. I'm gonna try and narrow it down because I have like ten oils rolling around in my head that I want to say, you can't do without this one. But
0: go go for (laughs) it. Let's start of course with lavender.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with lavender because there is that motto, when in doubt, use lavender. And it is it has such a broad range of Chemical constituents and a broad range of very safe uses. Um, without going into detail, I would say that you know a general two percent dilution that would be ten drops of essential oil and one ounce of carrier oil. For lavender oil, I sometimes carry around a small bottle with me in my purse of neat. Neat means undiluted, and I have used one little tiny drip on my hand for an insect bite that really itches. Or a burn on my finger from the kitchen stove; um, those are appropriate uses of lavender undiluted in very small areas of the body. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're great for sun. Lavender is great for sunburn, but you would not put undiluted lavender. In, over your entire body that is sunburned. You would dilute that. And I like aloe vera juice for that as a dilutant for that, and 2 3% for that. And then lavender is just so good for anxiety and depression. There are so many wonderful studies on lavender. It's one of the most researched essential oils. And then maybe tea tree. I'm not a
0: big fan of the odor,
1: but it is also a first aid kit in a bottle. That's another great one.
0: And the studies um, on the studies on tea tree go oh, back all the way to so the like 20s. the 19 yes I was shocked when I was, when I was yes. writing my women's herbal textbook on uh, using it as a for vaginal yeast infections and trichomonas yes. and uh BV totally. I was shocked at how far back the yes. studies went. yeah from yes. like Australia
1: and, uh-huh and the wide range of dilutions for its safety and its efficacy was really broad i you maybe saw this 19 i think it was 1962 study in the journal of obstetrics and gynecology where that was the first place i saw it for yeast infections yes so that's a great one i like orange oil it's one of the citrus oils that is not photosensitizing whether it is distilled or cold pressed so orange oil is a safe essential oil for use in sunlight and it's such a sweet smell it is such a great lavender and orange together for children is such a beautiful aroma it's great for the bath keep in mind that i would i would the proportion if you're doing a blend i would probably do about three parts of lavender and one part of orange if you're doing in the bath just because the citrus oils can be a little stingy in the water and so you um with kids you always want to use a little bit of carrier oil in that essential oil before you pour that into the bathtub for for the kiddos obviously you're not going to need a lot and i would just avoid essential oils for infants i mean use herb teas again it's it's a really lost art but as you know something like chamomile or um, catnip or Melissa. Those are wonderful herb teas for kids before bedtime yeah. uh, for, for the little ones, the toddlers.
0: And you get quite a bit of aromatherapy just from yes. drinking. I mean, we, when we make herb teas we, that are aromatic with those herbs that you mentioned, we make them with the lid on when we steep them. Yeah. And when you take the lid off, you are getting those essential oils. Totally. You're just getting them in a very, very dilute, aerosolized type of form.
1: And that's all babies need. Yeah. They don't need hard hitting. I don't like to see. This was the other thing with some MLMs. Need essential oils on babies' feet? No, I disagree with that. I agree with. You. And um, and you have to be careful with eucalyptus oils on little children. Um, the 18 cineol in there is very, very strong. So, something like frankincense is a very safe. Essential oil. It's, I, I would say that's my third favorite because it can be used in a diffuser, even with little kids, in a diffuser for respiratory infections. Very safe, and um, the eucalyptuses can be a little sketchy um, for young kids. So you know, moving to something like rosemary. Well, that has some 1-8 cineol too, but not as much. Or even something like ravensara.
0: Well, yeah. I, I have one more question for you if you have the bandwidth for it. You got oh, yeah. It? Okay. All right. So when I was, oh, my gosh, 21, I had the absolute delight and, and treat of being invited to study with our late but just amazing friend, Janine Parvati. Mm -hmm. And I went out to Utah and did some midwifery training and yoga training and herbal training and, you know, beautiful initiation into women's arts. And Janine at that time was really uh, one of the first people who explained to me my constitution in terms of Ayurvedic doshas. And like you, you know, we're very intellectual women I mean we're very grounded in the earth and I'm I'm apparently I have a lot of moon and Taurus but I'm a I'm a, I'm a I'm a Gemini Vata girl all the way so Yeah <laughs> for me she told me at that time to use sandalwood and amber those very grounding notes and to even put sandalwood between my toes if I needed to and when I go on stage to speak, when I, um, and when I have anything that's going to kind of potentially cause me any of that rising up energy that's like, mm-hmm. you know, anxious, I always have some sandalwood, very ground or amber kind of grounding oils to smell. My question for you is we know that herbs, uh, essential oils have different notes. There can be high notes, medium notes, low yes. notes, and those, the sandalwood amber are those grounding notes. For a woman who wants to use, an essential oil to support herself emotionally and spiritually in what are challenging times that we're all living in now that cause us all to be kind of spun out at times how would you recommend that she identify maybe that one scent that's a big ally for her how does she know where to start mm-hmm. to find to find that Grounding, or for some women, it may be that they're so in their body they need a little bit more of a light note. Yes, where yes. do you where do you start with that?
1: Oh boy! Well, you know, when I teach my classes on blending, I talk about constitution and top, middle, and base notes, and I say that people who are very Vata, that very anxiety-driven, speedy constitution, the top notes will exacerbate that. And because they are rising up notes, they are uplifting, they are speed, kind of speedy. I, I don't want to say that's not exactly the right word, but they are energizing, enervating.
0: I, I think of them more as bir- they're, bir- they're like birds. They flit. Yes. As, opposed, yes. as opposed to like sandalwood or amber to me, which is like the, the roots of a yeah. tree yeah. Anchor, anchoring us down.
1: Completely. And so those those essential oils are good for the kapha types, the people who have a hard time getting their energy going and maybe are prone to procrastination and just have low physical energy and that that they need to be uplifted both physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And, and they also happen to be very often plant parts that are at the tops of the trees, like the fruits, you know and things like that peppermint would be in that in that category the middle notes i consider kind of balancing and then the base notes like you said they are for the vata type people that need more grounding so to for your listeners who are looking for their key ally essential oil there are lots of ways to figure that out and none of them are very scientific <laughs> so in my book with Kathy we have charts at the back of our book and for fragrances for emotions. So, you know, this is really very subjective. For me, I love the smell of frankincense. I find it very, very grounding and things like that. So, But if you have a, an odor memory of frankincense that was not very pleasant, then maybe that wouldn't be the right one for you. So you could simply start with something that you like the aroma of that makes you feel like it takes you to your happy place, whether it's connected to something in your early childhood that was happy or that you simply like the fragrance of it. Um, If you want to dig a little deeper, you could look into some of the books that are specific on the emotional uses of essential oil. And um, I like, there's a really good book by Robbie Zeck, R-O-B-B-I-Z-E-C-K, um, The Blossoming Heart. She's just a lovely practitioner. She's in Australia, but I'm sure her book is available online or at her website. She's got some beautiful associations. There are even little aroma cards. You know, sometimes I just, I have these cards on my desk. I just pick a card for the day and I look at it and I say, oh yeah, that kind of fits for today or you know, maybe I'm going to make a blend. And I, I ask the universe for, you know, I'm going to pick three cards and make a blend for that day. And I have that at my desk and I just use it to uplift my, my emotional mood, my state, my, you know, just, just the way that I think and feel for that day. And one of the things that I always say to in, in pretty much all my classes that the, the biggest thing about the sense of smell, we didn't get to olfaction at all, which is okay. But I want to just um, touch on this point And that is, that when you smell something that you like the aroma of, you take a deeper breath. And simply taking a deeper breath, as we know, with all the historical yoga practices and, and meditation practices, a lot of them are around deep breathing. When you take a deep breath, you reduce your stress load. You Your heart is talking to your nervous system. And um, it's just a really good way to just calm yourself down just simply by deep breathing in the aroma that you like the scent of.
0: I love that too with an herbal tea, right? At the end of the day, you make an aromatic tea with some lavender and some lemon balm and just herbs that you love. And then you sit and you just, before you even drink it, slow down, Mm -hmm. feel your feet on the ground, feel the weight of the warmth of the cup in your hand and just take that deep breath of the scent.
1: Yeah. And like you said, where we started at this, you know, talking about slowing down to take an herb tea, you know, people are like, oh, I need a tincture. Well, if you slow, if you take the time to slow down enough to drink your herbal tea, you probably won't be needing your tincture or your herb tea (laughs) for all that much longer.
0: So true. Mindy, you are such a, you're a treasure. You're a treasure trove of information. You're a treasure as a human being and a treasure... In representing the planet. So thank you for being here with me today. What is the best way that women can find you, find your books and and connect with you?
1: Yes. Well, I do have a website. You can either just look for my name, Mindy Green in Boulder, Colorado, that will bring it up. But my website is com. Please know that I don't sell products. I don't have a price list. I have lots of other interviews that you can listen to for free on my website. I have um, a resource list. And actually, I think, Aviva, I'm going to send you my resource list so that you can post it so that people can get that from you. And then on my website, I have my upcoming classes. I will be teaching at the Women's Herb Symposium on the East Coast in New Hampshire in a few weeks I will be teaching at Rutgers University next next week for the AIA, the Alliance of International Aromatherapists. Um, So anyway, all my other speaking engagements for the year are on my website. And my books show on my website, but again, I don't sell them on my website. So you can go to Amazon. Um, The only one that is still in print is the book that I've talked about, Aromatherapy, A Complete Guide to the Healing Art that I wrote with Kathy Keyville. And again, just going to Amazon, Googling my name, you'll find that. So it's been such a pleasure, Aviva. I am so happy that you invited me. And I want to thank you for taking herbalism into the medical world because a lot of us wanted to go to medical school, but didn't have the, the bandwidth, as you said, uh, for it. So both you and Tiarone, I bow to you both. So thank you so much for bringing herbs to, to that community.
0: Thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure to be in sisterhood and loving the plants with you. And thank you for giving so much of your precious time. I know you're busy too, to all of us today and giving us a whole view of aromatherapy or what was it? Essential oil nanotherapy? <laughs> na- nanopolypharmacy? It was Nanopharm- aromatic nanopolypharmacy. <laughs> yes, aromatic nanopolypharmacy. We'll see yes. if that catches on. Thank you so much,
1: Mindy. <laughs> My pleasure. Goodbye, everyone.
0: Thank you everyone for joining us. And if you like this, please let us know in the comments and you'll find Mindy's wonderful resource sheet that you can download with this podcast.